thanks for joining me on the fourth series of my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. As usual, we'll be covering all things that shape employee experience that ultimately impact on engagement, performance and loyalty. Whether that's about leadership style, psychological safety, mental well-being, companies' impact on society, neurodiversity and so much more, there is something for everyone. I'm your host, Lisa. As a psychologist and psychotherapist in my business, It's Time for Change, I get to make a real difference in the world of people. Working with companies who want to be great with inspiring leadership, an awesome culture and a wow workforce, that's my thing. And that's what this podcast is all about. You know those challenges and questions that can occupy your headspace, perhaps working out how to support people or how to develop a better way of working or how to increase capacity while keeping people on your side. Well, I'm your soundboard, problem and picker, and guide to doing things that ultimately increase employee happiness. My mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. So let's dive in. So ESG are three of the hottest letters on the agenda for many companies right now. So who better to join me to unpack the meaning and benefits of this term than Nicola Weir, internal climate and sustainability leader for Deloitte Asia Pacific. So welcome, Nicola. Thank you, Lisa. How are you today? I'm good. And I'm really grateful for you kindly giving up your uh, evening uh, in South Korea because I'm just packed my kids off to school. So we've had to work out the time difference to have this conversation. So thank you very much. Um, You've got 20 years experience in business transformation with specialism in ESG. And you're a mentor to young women and an advisor for startups. So clearly, you know your stuff. Um, And I'm really looking forward to this conversation because not only have we been talking about having this conversation for many months now, so it's finally happening, which is good, um, but also to understand more about the relevance of ESG to companies of all sizes, so not just corporates, and the connection with employee experience, which is something I talk a lot about. Um, So before we get into the detail, I'd love you to tell us a little bit more about your role, um, how you came to do what you do and what you're aiming to achieve in your role at Deloitte. Great. So I'm, as you said, I'm in Korea. Um, I moved here in in July with my family Um, and I was very grateful because I got to move with Deloitte, who I've been with for on and off for about 18 years. Um, as you said, I, I started off as, as a consultant um, and then um, I've had a, the privilege of working in lots of developing countries, um, Mozambique, Tanzania, Nepal. And through that experience, um, started to learn more about um, ESG before it was really called ESG um, as, as it was emerging. And um, and then latterly, um, I had the privilege of taking on a, a role as a social impact um, through Deloitte at what we call world class and then moved into world climate to run the European um, world climate um, pillar of of our strategy of our climate pillar of our climate strategy and then took on a similar role for Asia Um, so I've I've had this dotted career all around the world um, but but targeted but tracking this ESG pathway Um, and I guess it all started at, at doing biology at university although I never really realised where it would take me. 
Isn't that, isn't that fantastic though when you just start something at uni or you know people are choosing their a-levels and like I don't know what I want to do and you just you do something because you love it and then when you when you do something and you love that thing um you never know where it's going to end up <laughs> yeah exactly I know I was doing a um a, a similar kind of we did a town hall last week on nature with WWF um and and suddenly I had this like light bulb moment where I was like ah oh, this this is where it's all been leading to and it all makes sense now <laughs> And who would have thought you'd ended up with your family in South Korea, which is a, a big shift for you all. Yeah, minus 14 today. So it's great. Gosh, I thought it was cold here. So, um, OK, so let's let's sort of dive into ESG then. So it's an acronym for Environmental, Social and Governments. On a kind of broad level, what does that actually mean? Yeah, I mean, it can be very confusing and I think lots of people interpret it differently, but so the, the official understanding of it is environment is is all of our emissions um, and the impact a company has on the environment, on nature and, and biodiversity. Um, so that might be um, looking at zero waste to landfill. It might be looking at the circular economy of a product um, and then properly tracking your emissions. Mm. So that's environment. Um, then we've got social. So this is how... Um, companies should manage their employee development and labor practices and it's also things like health and safety um, diversity looking at um, considerations around supply chain um, labor issues or sourcing issues um, and how companies can can reach out to underprivileged groups and then you've got governance so this is um, around stakeholder rights it's about board diversity it's about how we monitor and track executive pay and how that then relates to their sustainability performance. Um, so they're the three buckets. Um, and it, and the, there's some great graphics out there in, in terms of explaining exactly what's monitored and reported under each one of them. Yeah, I'm going to come on to that, actually. And I think the reason, you know, it's, it's so good to have this conversation around ESG is because, you know, when we're talking about the impact, it's looking at the impact that companies have on the world and on society as a whole and when there's there's no better place from my point of view there's no better place to start than the impact on the people in your organization because they make the things happen that then impacts outwards um and it's a message that we've been talking about a lot so when when I heard you sort of talking about ESG and so on, I was like, oh my gosh, there's, there is the light bulb moment. Um, and it's big business, isn't it? There was a, something I read the other day about the United Nations estimates that the annual global spending by governments and the private sector needs to deliver the world's ESG related goals is around $5 trillion a year or more than 6% of the world's GDP. So is this something that's going to impact on all of us eventually regardless of the size of our business or is this something that's just going to sort of stick with the, the bigger organizations oh no, no definitely I mean it's already impacting everyone I mean think about you know from the food we eat to the clothes we buy right it, it's it's part of our everyday um, existence I mean you know our kids shop at H&M and they you know H&M have completely changed their branding um, and, are, and are getting questioned for greenwashing around um, you know, their labelling and, and where the, the materials are sourced from and, and what they're communicating to their consumers. Um, I follow a great company called Food Steps um, and they, this is this amazing woman who, um, called Anya, who started, her, who did a PhD in starting to look at food labelling um, and now she's set up a business around it. 
and that is you know the future will be um you know you look at your calorific intake on it on your chocolate bar but you'll also look at the carbon emissions of it as well mm. um so i think it is it is starting to infiltrate everyone's lives and as it does that then it, you know that is it naturally becomes into the workplace uh, regardless of whether you're a small to medium size enterprise or a, a large corporation um it, it's here and it's here to stay um and those companies that recognize that and embed it in their values are the ones that will 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 start to lead in this and the social part going back to that is um you know how how you know it's part of that's going to be about how a company treats its people um yeah. you know its relationship with its employees so does it have a high regard for employee health you've already mentioned health and safety um does the does the company invest in its local community do employees engage in volunteering and you know are stakeholders interest taken into account there's lots of stuff within that area do you see organizations making the connection between ESG and employees everyday experience in other words putting the focus on its people on its workforce in terms of their experience knowing that that's actually some of the fundamentals of this ESG agenda you know I I would probably look at it differently to that I think I think I would almost class that as like our more traditional CSR type approach where employees are receivers of, of good news and, and goodwill that the, the company's doing. And it, for me, that's not what it's about anymore. It's about how do we ensure that everyone's job becomes a green or a, a green or a social or um, you know, a, a leading job around ESG. So that's everything from, you know, how we design products. You know, are, are you thinking about um, ESG considerations in product design? When we, if you're a procurement manager, are you thinking about how, who you're sourcing from and the quality of what you're sourcing? Um, if you're writing policies, are you considering ESG into your policies? If you're working in HR, how, um, what ESG considerations are you applying on salary or diversity? Um, so it's it's more around for me is how do you make every employee in your organization, no matter how big your organization is, understand that this is this is a core part of your purpose and your values, and they all have a role to play. Um, and then for me, the that social good is is additive. It's what we do on top. Um, but it's not, it shouldn't be what we do, the only thing we do. So if I, if you if there are HR people listening to this or people who um, are people leaders, so people directors, that's their role. What would you be sort of encouraging them to, to how how could they be interpreting that then in terms of um, you know if they're looking at recruitment, looking at sort of diversity and so on? What does it mean to them if they're trying to understand how to connect, how to join the dots between ESG? And what their focus is, which might be around that sort of people strategy, what mm. what sorts of things specifically in in their in the sort of people area should they be looking at? Yeah, I think it's probably having a really tight understanding with the with the leadership about what the future organisation is going to look like uh, as the company evolves in an ESG era. So take something like um, my favourite example is like a mechanic, right? Um, you know, if you're a HR person, employee mechanics, you can't now employ someone who fixes just petrol and diesel cars, right? 
you've got to look at the, the skill set of those people and how they can fix petrol or diesel cars, but also uh, technical engineers, um, mechanical engineers who can then fix electric vehicles. Completely different skill sets, mm. different training, possibly different sourcing. You know, so looking at how your organization is going to evolve its business model um, and therefore what people are going to be required um, in terms of skills. And there's, there's some really cool um, articles that are like coming out now around green skills um, and just transition. And so having um, a read of those is probably is probably a good start for companies. Um, I can I can share some links with you. Mm. Um, so that's that, that one element. And then I think for me, there's like the, the societal element of of what do people expect of your company? You know, if your if your company is a completely white male board and executives, then how are people you're trying to recruit coming into that? How are they going to perceive that? You know, do they want to work for that type of company or do they want to see you demonstrating um you know diversity i, I loved the, your last podcast with sophie and alice and mm. and they were like it's got to be about action enough talk and it's got to be about action and that and that i think is key here even if the action is small um just making some level of action is what's needed yeah and i think it's it's really interesting hearing your take on actually how this is relevant and how it it needs to permeate at every level of the business, but it needs to go right back to the start, doesn't it? So it, there is that distinction between how I was making a connection with about how people's their data experience, but it's actually about shaping it differently right from before some people even step foot inside the, the organization. What does their role do? Is it still fit for purpose? I think that's going to mean, I guess, a lot of companies reevaluating the roles they have and doing quite a lot of adjusting of those to be fit for purpose for the future of work yeah I mean marketing for me is a really interesting one brand and marketing right um I don't know if you've heard of greenwashing um but there's this new term that's uh, coming out called greenwashing and that's it's about how basically falsifying or um implying that you have greener credentials than you actually have um around sustainability uh, around climate sorry and um and loads of company i mean even ikea who i would class as like one of the most sustainable brands they really think about it they um they got fined because they um within their supply chain they had wood that was illegally logged from uh, i think it was the ukraine right and so there's there's lots of focus now on what what a company saying in the market and um, is it true and people are really challenging it. Like the public mm. is really challenging this. So the role of brand and marketeers is mm. is key in all of this to say, you know, is what we're saying, you know, it's not about, um, there's a thing on Netflix at the minute of, um, about an, uh, about Pepsi. Have you seen this? No. <laughs> like the Pepsi put an advert out about, you could win a fighter jet and it's, and it's about basically false advertising and, and this guy takes them to court. But it's the similar theme is coming through on greenwashing. Um, and so getting your brand um, and marketing teams or your comms person, however big your team is, aware of what, um, what they need to be thinking about and, and really taking a very humble and honest approach, mm. um, I think is key for me in this. 
It's so interesting actually listening to what you just said because it really strikes a chord with what Alice and Sophie were saying um, yeah. from the joyful. And, you know, that's why their episode, um, I think it was called um, Don't Be the Company You Cried Purpose or something like that. It's that sense of actually we all talk about, of course, we're really purposeful and of course we look after our people and so on. And lots of people are marketing professionals to come along and make them look all kind of glossy and amazing from the outside but underneath it it's like oh what's the reality really like um and actually I think yeah it's getting that match between what you're communicating and actually that being very true based on based on good evidence rather than trying to just have a branding which doesn't fit what's really going on Mm, and that's the advice I'm giving our leaders and, and we work really closely on this is we're not you know cheap headlines are gone they're a thing of the past um really going out and saying you know what this is a journey and it's difficult and it requires systemic change and and this is what we're doing to try and be better um and do no harm but you know we we are we're on a journey together Mm -hmm. and that tone from the top is really important I think that's yeah that's a really good point so how have you seen good examples of companies um who are communicating that well so who are because I think often sometimes the uh companies will say well we're going to do the CSG thing or we're going to do whatever the thing is and then they worry that they haven't perfected it so they try to make it look as if they know what they're doing and they're nailing it and actually they don't have the confidence to say we are just starting out on this journey and we're not sure where it's going to end up or what's going to look like what it's going to feel like but we are on this journey together so how are there kind of ways of approaching that comms bit that companies could think about um if they're going to sort of embark on this journey yeah i mean um you might have seen that larry fink is uh, from blackrock he um his letters are becoming quite famous a lot of them have gone viral um and what he does is set he sets a really strong a little bit kind of controversial at times but really strong message that this is this is what they represent this is what he expects and what was interesting is he didn't make it internally made it publicly available so like a public letter to his people um and but I think what's what's the differentiator is you've got to then walk the talk Mm. um I think there's two things I think showing the vulnerability um and setting the tone right is really key again no matter how big your company is but just saying this is what I expect this is these are our values um this is our purpose and this is how I expect people to behave and operate um and but I'm also happy for us to get this wrong and learn and adapt and and but as long as we're all on this heading to one direction so from from the companies I've seen, like Paul Polman is a classic from the Unilever days, where similar type of approach. He 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 was very much a, you know, this is all new, but I'm I'm going to change it and I'm going to learn and we and we're going to um, see where we go. But he, what he stuck to really well was his his direction of travel was really clear. Um, so kind of just having that clear and and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and make sure it's embedded into every part of your employee journey from you know recruitment to retire again even if your company's tiny um you know i would have it on you know have your value have your purpose have have your esg strategy in a nutshell 
on your job applications, on your website, make sure it's front and center and clear, on proposals, have a, have a piece of what it means to you. Um, and so just reiterate that this is what you're working towards and you're taking it seriously, I think is key. I like the idea of a public letter like yeah. you know to to people because i think that's something that comes up um so that discrepancy between what we say and what we do particularly from leadership who's saying we want you know we're going to be embracing psychological safety and we're going to be authentic and we're going to be um doing this amazing stuff but actually they'll say it in a kind of um spread the message across the grapevine this is how we're going to do stuff but then their behavior doesn't back that up. And I think actually to be able to put something out public that, publicly that says, I'm going to be leading in this way and you can hold me to account. And if I slip up, if I forget, if I don't get it right, then come and tell me. It's really makes, it's going to put that at the top of someone's radar, isn't it? In terms of making sure they are really yeah. living the values. And, and people are watching this now and, and they're, yeah. what I, like, I mentioned greenwashing, people are really calling it out and, and we're seeing, you know, CEOs having to resign over these matters where BP in 2020 did a, a, a huge brand campaign and, and it was called out by, a um, I think it was a, a small law firm or, a, but they got reported and, um, and they pulled the campaign. You know, so companies are spending, it's big companies like BP, probably multi-millions on these things and having to retract when they just land it wrong. Um, so having the message, but really backing it up with actions. Mm. Uh, yeah, is, is key. And even if those actions are small, you know, we, I think what I was reading, like, I think 90, you can correct me, like 99% of businesses in the UK are SMEs. Yes. Mm. It's staggering. But, staggering and 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 like you rightly say you know a lot of them don't have the resources of, of a Deloitte or a, a BP or whatever in order to um to drive an agenda like this and so just thinking about um that that journey and just taking small actions um, but making sure they're action mm, yes you know it, 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 I love like um and being in Korea I'm in an environment now where it's um paper cups and straws everywhere yeah Um, well they're not really paper but they're cups covered in plastic and um and you know I think back to the UK where you know we made this massive cultural change of you know it was it became a taboo to have a plastic straw and (laughs) yeah and um now we take our coffee mugs to the coffee shop and this is all recent times and if you think the impact of that is actually quite minimal on emissions Mm. um but the cultural change that it it was was huge Mm. um because it says this is what we now this is how our behavior is now more positive um, and so companies even taking those small steps of the low-hanging fruit that they can change sends an important message to the to their employees um so that, I, yeah. I like that because that, that makes it it kind of breaks down something that can feel quite big um you know and lots of companies are really grappling with you know there's so many terms banned around employee experience employee engagement as people talk about mental health mental well-being performance you know there's we've got so many things that are on the table that they're trying to get their heads around. Mm. Um, and it's, and I see ESG 
if it's done well, would impact on all all those other aspects. So are you seeing um, are you seeing that making a difference to companies in terms of those sort of performance measures around whether it's well-being or engagement performance, whatever those those key measures are, are companies um, seeing a shift or you know an impact on that data because of ESG or is it is it too soon to tell? Um, I think it depends on, on what you are in the world. Like I think there are a lot more regulations coming out now. Um, certainly for the for the larger companies. Um, there's a new UK, I think it's one seven two, where you have to now report in your annual returns around your ESG impact. So that forces companies to really um, think and evidence about it. Hmm. Um, I think it's. It is changing because it's now it's now complex. I mean, this is in the news every single day. You mm. know, you think back to when we were kids. You, know, it was it was never in the news. Uh, Even yeah. <laughs> when we had our kids, it was never in the news, right? And so, it's so like so infiltrated into our everyday that companies can't ignore it. Mm. Um, so they have to they have to start having the conversation I think the well-being angle is really interesting and and I don't know if um I think we're probably going to see a wave of um certainly climate anxiety and well-being um coming together a lot more and I don't I, I'm, I'm certainly not talking about that enough in, in my company but um I think I was reading like there's there's this huge it's certainly in the millennials um what was it like 77 percent of people said the future is frightening 39 percent said they don't want to have kids because they you know don't want the future so you know this is um really becoming part of people's psyche and mm. and and you know how they're making real decisions in both in, in the workplace and, and their personal life um and then I think as we see again with the climate lens on it but how there's there's I think the the number is like 70 70 trillion US dollars of damages is to be expected on climate change over the next 10 years and and so on a scale of that you know that starts to really impact people's livelihoods Mm. Um, compound that compound that with the cost of living crisis and you kind of in emotional turmoil for some people Mm. Um, so how employees tackle that those two worlds colliding I, I'm not quite sure yet um, but I, I suspect it's something we need to start being prepared for and it's interesting isn't it because we know that when companies are good companies who are formed around a very clear purpose where their values are uh, lived day in day out and you know people have that sense of connection and belonging and you know their emotional needs are met that actually that improves well-being um and it improves people's ability to be able to go and thrive there's a um a quote from uh so research from great place to work which um showed that when employees say that their work has special meaning rather than just being a job they're 56 percent more likely to experience innovation um mm. and you know for companies to be stay ahead of the game they need to be able to innovate and for people to be, able to be creative and to perform well so actually, if they've got that sense of, I I love working here. I feel connected. I feel a sense of belonging. I know I'm doing greater good than just what I'm doing right in front of me right now. Then that 
should impact in a positive way on mental well-being. But it's interesting that that essentially might be then cancelled out. That, that benefit might be cancelled out by other anxieties that are coming to the table that perhaps we mm. haven't, for many of us, we haven't even considered yet. Yeah, and I guess there's things like frustration around diversity, right? If you're mm. you and I know as a as a woman how you've got to fight the good fight, and you know how much does that affect your mental health of in companies that are not driving the change as quickly as you would hope, and I don't know what do, what do you think about you know, small companies and and the well being versus larger companies? And is, I think well, I think it's a, really interesting. I think there's been a a um a kind of push over the last number of years. You know, well being has mental health has really gone up on the agenda, and a lot of companies spend a lot of money on you know new programs and bring this extra stuff in. But I think um it's got to the point of almost feeling that's too much and actually what people need to do is take a step back and create space and it almost becomes too formal and too formulaic and it's like right well we're if we're a bigger company we need to get an external person to come in and work with us and create this new program and we're going to be doing this training and that training and always webinars and all these different apps and everything around mental health and well-being and it almost becomes another level of noise and complication. And I think sometimes the smaller companies are better at saying, well, we don't actually have all those resources. So what can we do? And they come together and they have really good conversations and they find it easier to say, right, what are we doing that's not helping our sense of mental health and well-being on a day-to-day basis? And how can we change it? And the smaller company actually sometimes the easier that changes. Mm. So I think um is there's for me there's a shift it depends on how we interpret it and how we look at how to solve that problem but I think when we go back to the basics of putting people first and just saying well let's have good conversations like you were saying before we even start recording this conversation today about you in your role you're doing a lot of listening so you're not going in and being like a whirlwind of trying to drive change you can see lots of things where you want that you want to develop but right now you're just listening and you're creating that space and I think mm. lots of companies would be in a good place to do that more. And I think sometimes the smaller companies hear more about what each other are doing simply because they connect more and they, because they're smaller, they see, you know, they see each other, they experience each other, they are aware of each other more than perhaps they might be in a larger organisation. So that'd yeah, be my, just, my take on it. I don't know how that yeah. fits with your experience because you're obviously in a massive organisation. Yeah, and I, I do, I think, I think it's, because I think in a, in a large organisation, then you get these pockets of people who want to drive change, but they don't necessarily get heard to the, to enable the change or they don't get the audience with the, the right leadership to drive the change. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, part of my role on, on ESG is understanding yeah, I I have I have the ability to go and influence at our exec and board level, but taking that time to say actually what what really do our people what what concerns them and mm. what's going to make um, a, a difference, particularly on the on the social side. Mm. I think it's often clearer cut on the environmental side because you you kind of know mm. what's black and white mm. to reduce emissions and, and really evidence, but on the social side, I think it's more complicated, and then. And I, I think it really takes, and again, I don't know if it's easier or harder in small or, bit, or large companies, but the governance side, um, I think, is 
is interesting uh, that we've had a new um md of our south africa practice and she's come in so a woman and she's come in and and um put immediately put 50 percent women on the exec mm. and you know and 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 it's and they're dealing in in an environment where they've struggled with with race for many years and you know and so being bold and brave and just saying you know i'm just doing this um i think is probably harder in bigger companies mm. than it is in smaller but it doesn't, it doesn't mean it shouldn't happen it just means yeah. it's, it's probably the, the stakes are somewhat higher or can yeah. be higher and i think actually you're you made a good point about um you know the list like so with um the social aspect actually um people might need to work harder on that because there's much more research there's much more you know data that people can look on at for example the um, environment for climate and that's where it comes back to in the companies they need to ask their people they need to get that data they need to get like they need to create their own research set um so that they can and understand what's really going on in that organization so that they can which is going to be different to the next organization so they have to look at that and it's going to be different to how that set of people feel and think next year so right now what do those people need what are they seeing is is wasteful what are they seeing is really inefficient about how we do stuff what is it you know we've got traditional roles and actually they just don't work anymore for how we currently run our organization so how what is currently going on and how can we address that which is those conversations I think are often so much easier when you're when it's a smaller company hmm. and then on the flip side you've got um you know what there's a they're almost like that listening and and the how how do I how do I have the the luxury of, of defining this and changing it and then on the flip side probably harder for smaller companies is the investment and that really comes down to what do I actually need to do in order to kind of qualify for this investment or this proposal or whatever it is, you know, mm. business growth, what do I need um, to do? And I think that's when it becomes a bit more cut and dry for smaller companies. Mm. And that's for um, them, I think, where joining the dots is so important. So rather than just seeing ESG as another thing to take up my time and to, you know, um, that's going to become another headache essentially which you know that obviously the smaller the company the, the more balls they've got in the air um actually to be able to join the dots and say well actually if we're working on this particular aspect that has a knock-on effect on all these other things so it's we don't have to treat them all they're not they shouldn't be in isolation it's a bit like your example of big organizations that be pockets of good practice but how do you connect it how do you get it having that impact across every aspect of an organization I'm always talking about the necessity to join the dots so your people strategy your business strategy your you know you can have an ESG strategy how do you combine all that so that it makes it simpler and just otherwise if it's too overwhelming it just won't happen are you seeing are you seeing companies managing to do that what what would your advice be to them yeah I mean first of all it's a journey it really is a journey and 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 it is evolving and I think it requires some level of agility um, to keep companies just constantly challenging themselves. Um, I think my biggest tip would be that it's not a standalone uh, strategy. Mm. 
So when I look, um, so if I take the environment lens, um, which I spend a lot of time on, they, so actually I see my role as, as not to deliver the environmental strategy because I can't do that on my own in isolation. It's not another thing the company needs to do. It's mm -hmm. actually about transforming how we're already doing our operations. And so we, you know, I will, my a lot a large part of my job is going talking to my procurement that you know, procurement colleagues and saying okay here's here's the latest trends and practices coming through here's the latest reporting standards that we need to start adhering to it might be i go and talk to our it team and say you know how can we think smarter about the laptops that we're procuring or ensuring that those laptops don't go into landfill when we're done with them um, or have we thought about the energy that our servers are burning? Yeah, and so asking them different, and then they go, oh, actually, yeah, we could ask our the person who we buy the laptops from. You know, and then mm -hmm. you 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 create this domino effect of mm -hmm. of asking the questions, and and so there's that like really key point of ESG is not a, a something that sits alongside everything else. ESG needs to thread its way through everything that you do as a business regardless of whether you're a services business or, or a products business um and there's opportunity to really excel in each of like just you know, pick examples um you know as a products business you might say right actually you know this you've got a typewriter in the background you know this typewriter that we've got i've we've ensured that you know there are the right standards are in place for the production of this um you know the packaging around it is is sourced correctly and is sustainable you know we're doing no harm by creating this product and then and really celebrate that like that's okay because you're, you're embedding those decisions in how you're running your business um so yeah for me I would just like realize it's a journey you don't have to do it all now um but you do have to do something <laughs> so yeah but it's so reassuring to hear that you don't have to have it's not something you have to have another strategy because there are so many, again, and this is what's really nice hearing this from you because having done some reading around the subject, you get some people who talk about, you know, like you said at the start of the conversation, there are lots of different ways of approaching this. And some people talk about having your ESG strategy and so on. And actually to, and to hear from you, you don't have to have, it's probably not a good idea to have a separate strategy because it actually needs to weave its way through everything else that happens rather than being a standalone um also is a sense of relief that I haven't got to come up with another strategy that we then have to try and implement it's actually having just it's the right conversations it's having the right intention thinking this is the lens with you know through which we need to assess what's going on a day-to-day -day basis and actually we just need to have the right conversations ask the right questions um and then make the change that way which I think sounds yeah. makes it breaks it down makes, makes it sound much more sort of tangible yeah absolutely I, I think there's possibly one one exception to that which if I didn't say my climate scientist colleagues would would hit the roof <laughs> which is around um is the environmental metrics mm. so every company has um a responsibility to um monitor and report their emissions um and and that is from the smallest company of a one-man band all the way through to the, you know, the likes of Deloitte. Um, because it, it 
for us to be successful in reaching net zero requires systemic and collective change. No one company is going to do this alone. And while others have a bigger impact, but that requires an organization to understand where their emissions are coming from. And so, you know, that might be you traveling. It might be how you're getting from A to B. Um, and that's emissions to your company. And then I think the other key thing in that, especially for smaller enterprises, is how um, I won't get into the technicalities around scope one, twos and threes, but scope three emissions are supply chain emissions or can be supply chain emissions. And so um, what will start to happen is these bigger companies who the SMEs are part of their supply chain, they will start to get asked to evidence how they are um, reducing, particularly reducing emissions um, as well, alongside other ESG stats. So just being aware of what your emissions are, having a baseline in place, and then looking and putting proactive measures in, in place to reduce them is going to be key for organisations, um, especially to win work in the future and to um, and to get investment. So things yeah. like the NHS, they've they put a call out. I think it was last year or the year before that said we will simply not we will not procure from anyone who hasn't got climate targets. Um, which is tough. I mean, it's brilliant, but for SMEs, it can be tough. Mm. Um, so again then where where do you because there are lots of sort of standards and lots of key practices around ESG and so on one hand there's that sense of just start small just start with kind of what feels okay um but then there's the other part which actually we do have responsibility so for example um everything you've just described which is relevant to a to even if you're a one person company how where should people start if they if they say right let's get to grips with the sg and start small so we are just embarking on a journey what would be some of the key practices sort of key things to consider for each of those three areas if they're thinking actually i need to go and show i'm doing something i'm taking action and i'm making a difference what would be the kind of starting point so for me, it starts with governance. So ensuring that you are having the conversation with your leadership team. And if you've got an executive or a board set up that it is is a is a an agenda item. Um and it, and again, it can be, you know, how are we looking at sustainability within our operations? How are we looking at social aspects of our recruitment? You know, it doesn't again have to be like a standalone it could be a consideration as part of the broader agenda mm. but making sure that you're talking about it um because when you start talking about it you start learning and you start considering and then you start building it into your the core of your business mm. so one is around governance two is around risk so for every business there will be an element of risk associated with esg and that might be uh, brand risk. Um, it might be um, supply chain risk. Um, and understanding what risks are to your business. And there's loads of great frameworks out there um, to help. There's, there's something called um, the IPCC, which is, again, focused on climate risk. But that talks a lot. Um, it's the Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change. Um, it's it's fairly uh, dense, but there is an executive summary. Okay. Um, 
But that talks about moving away from mitigation to adaptation. And so thinking through as a company what you can do um, to adapt. And I always say the principles of that apply to across all of ESG and not just climate. So thinking through risks um, to your business. And that and that could be, you know, for a small co company, that could be as simple as, you know, the, the snow has cut, cut off your internet. Yeah, you know, what what do you do if you if you're going to lose revenue because you can't operate anymore? Yeah, and having a having a plan in place. Um, so governance and risk are absolutely key. Um, then it comes to reporting. Um, and so there isn't there there are very few kind of regulatory uh, standards at the minute for small to medium price medium sized enterprises. There's a lot more coming through for larger enterprises. I mentioned the section 172. Um, now, but that doesn't necessarily mean you get away with it because unfortunately small to medium price enterprises then get the pressure from the big corporates who they're in the supply chain yes. jobs in order to evidence. Um, so, I mean, there's there's like, there, there's a couple of good frameworks. There's the GRI, the Global Reporting Initiative. Um, there's the Sustainability Accounting Standards Boards, which is also good. And then if you want just a climate focused one, this is TCFD, the Task Force for Climate Related Disclosure. And you'll put the, I, we can put the links to these in the show notes. I will put, I'll, I'll send all the links. And then, I mean, if if the probably the easiest one to start with is the Sustainable Development Goals um, and just looking at how your business aligns to those. Um, and again, talking about it to your to your within your your clients or your supply chain. Um, what I would do and what we we actually have a project in Korea with um, that we're advising small to medium price enterprises on in supply chain to get ready for ESG. And what we're saying is just pick one and, and do it. Just have a go. Um, and you don't have to publish it at the moment, but actually going through, carving out the time to go through the different steps mm -hmm. will make you think and realise where the gaps are. Um, and then you can put action plans in place. And again, you can then present back to to, to your stakeholders and say, we're not here yet, mm. but this is what we're thinking about to get there. You know, this is how we're migrating our operations to be more sustainable. Um, and really then changing the decisions you're making as, as you operate your business. Um, so that's, yeah, they're, they're the kind of top three things that I would get right. Um, and then you can get all exciting and fancy and start investing in <laughs> projects, <laughs> but get those basics right first. Yeah, and I and I like that because I think um, it it kind of I like the idea of just saying actually just recognize we might not be there yet, but we're again it's about setting a direction and just acknowledging that it's a journey and we're right at the start of it. And some of the um, you know you talked about Larry Fink from um, Blue Rock and. Um, a black rock um there was um uh, a, the ceo of blue rock very similar company um, has sort of shared his experience um of purpose being one of the key reasons that employees join his firm so when he was talking about esg and his uh experience of it um and the difference it's made he was saying that our purpose statement is to do the things you love with people you care about and great things will happen. And then that's morphed into their vision. And so many people, so many companies are talking about, uh, you know, their values, their purpose, their vision and how to live and breathe the behaviours 
that fulfill that that purpose um and i think actually when when we when we realize that those conversations are also what's going to start this journey what's going to help move forward on this journey again you can hear this almost like an audible sigh of relief that actually it's not a completely different conversation i've got to have if i want to just start with the conversations i'm already having but just consider that this is also looking through an esg lens it just makes it feel much more manageable slightly less yeah. overwhelming yeah absolutely and uh, yeah i mean inaction is just not an option that I, I, I wrote the lady's name down actually because i read there's this brilliant article uh, judy samuelson she wrote an article called esg not woke capitalism or greenwashing but an opportunity for employee voice um and i just loved the the headline of not it's not woke not yeah. woke capitalism and um and like this is this is not like a trend that we need to try and fathom out and and, ha- and come up like with a strategy and an answer and and you know put it in a box and a big tick and it's done mm. this is a way that we are now you know, businesses are now operating um and so understanding that you know it is hard and it's complicated and but it's part of your journey um and it's you need to evolve around it and and, and judy talks about this you know it, it's this constant ever-evolving effort she says um and that it's imperfect mm-hmm. and I really liked that idea of like this is imperfect like we you know there's what I I've uh, one of the issues I'm struggling with is, is around our travel and realizing that um you know a lot of our emissions come from travel because that's the work that we do we go and talk to our clients and we service our clients and that's really key to us doing business um but as we do that we we release emissions and so actually the role that we can have um, probably far more impactful is going to work with the airlines and the travel industry and looking and helping them to decarbonize and then you have this mass impact mm. rather than kind of just solving these little problems um, and so mm. just thinking really differently about things is absolutely key and I love that example because that's a great one where if you just have these conversations and even if you don't have the answers and you don't feel that, you know, whoever's sitting around the table or joining your Zoom call or whatever in your, however small the company is, you haven't got to have anyone who's got all the answers at the stage. It's just having the conversations because then those points sit in your subconscious. So during the day, during the week, you will, you'll that will just be sitting there and it will just be chipping away at that sense of, you know, I feel guilty about doing such and such. Well, how can I? the fact that you even are conscious about feeling guilty is a good start rather than just doing stuff automatically without any consideration of it. So you're aware that it might not sit right. What do I do about that? Can I do anything about that? And then looking at where you can start to take a little bit of control. And I love, it's that whole change cycle, isn't it? In terms of blissfully unaware that any of this is any of my problem to actually maybe I do have an impact and I, I, I can make a difference. So what can I actually do to take some control rather than saying it's someone else's problem? Yeah, and that, that that's really the heart of it, Lisa. And you know this too, like, well, this is your job, is that the brain takes the path of least resistance, right? And um, and so I think the biggest challenge in, in a lot of this, particularly on the environment stuff, but actually on the social stuff as well, is, is how do we reprogram our brain to to just take a different path and that but that requires 
repeat behavior um, it requires a very strong tone from the top and it requires more than one person doing it um, and so I think that's what I think for me that's where we are in 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 society at the minute is this crunch point between we've been talking about this for a while now um, and we've been sitting with these ideas and people know it's not quite right but now how do we move that to action to actually drive the change mm. um, you know how how do I and you know I, I do this for a living and I still buy products that are covered in plastic and I still you know always you know will probably prior not always but prioritize convenience because I'm short on time and I'm stressed and yeah, how do I re re-trigger my brain? I re you know, re redo those train pathways it, yeah. to think retrain it, yeah, to think differently. Um, and you know, you, you extrapolate that out to how companies are running and um and that's probably the it's it's that retraining that companies need to get their head around is this as we said, this is not something on the side, this is how we change our business and change how we operate. And come up with new business models and new solutions and that's really exciting mm. um, but at the minute I don't the evidence suggests we're not moving fast enough on the ESG agenda to to really certainly reverse the impacts of climate change which is, which is yeah, yeah which is scary isn't it and again I think some people are very good at just blocking their ears to that um rather than looking at what they can do and I guess you know you made the point earlier I think it's when you're talking about governance about keeping ESG on the agenda at sort of, for example, every meeting. And I know when, you know, I talk to leadership teams around um, different aspects of their culture and it's like, well, that is actually got to be, you've got to have less transactional stuff on your agendas in your leadership team meetings and have more of the, the stuff which is around our culture and how we are and who we are and how we're showing up and what impact we're having and, those are the conversations that need to happen at those meetings um and maybe having something like ESG however that's worded but as this kind of a regular standing item on everyone's yeah, agendas and it's like actually let's just let we've got to keep the conversation going but with the emphasis on that conversation turning into action which I think is the point you're making quite clearly yeah and it's think little things like so we we used to have an um a, a transformation committee and and people would kind of go to it and they would ask for money to run whatever innovative project they wanted and and we did a very simple but effective um step of we didn't we didn't add an ESG agenda or strategy we just simply added two or three questions into the acceptance criteria of of the of, of the proposal and but it and it it was basically like well it's now part of the process so it's an existing process we we didn't create much more work for anyone we just got that to be considered and that's the same thing that's now happening in supply chains is um it, with the lens of sustainability and that's broader sustainability and, and, and human rights not just environmental sustainability um but how you know, just asking, you know, what's your, what's your anti-slavery policy? You know, what, what's, where did you, can you evidence that these, you know, this, these products were sourced from sustainable sources and building that into an existing process that can, can completely change um, a system mm. um, because you ask them, then your supplier and da, 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 da. Mm. Um, we work with Compass Group who are 
um they they supply like food and beverages and I and I love like looking at the like well, they're one of my um favorite examples and and Caroline Ball who's the uh, the CSO uh, for them she's she's this firecracker of of change and um and she but what I love is that you can it's a really nice example of where you can at every step in the value chain you can see how the ripple effect mm. so whether that's from you know the the seed that's planted in the soil and the quality of the soil and the treatment of that soil and the and the environment around it through to the farmer's standards through to the the supply chain of that through to how it then gets to a you know Deloitte office and 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 what happens to it then or you know how it goes to a supermarket and how Anya and her food steps comes in and looks mm-hmm. at food labeling you know and you can you can see how actually it requires it's not just one person it's this systemic change and we all need to work together to drive these these changes through and how lovely for all the people involved in that process to know about their part in that bigger process and the difference they're making because I also think sometimes there's which comes back to that communication point we're covering earlier about people can be engaged with something that's so meaningful and it's such a it's such a purposeful thing but they don't get it because they just is one little bit of the whole process and I have to say to to their leaders it's like does everyone know the why of what they're doing like why why how is that having such an impact why is that so important that that one whether they're standing on a production line or whether they're having a conversation with someone or whatever it is what impact is that having and when we all understand the why um you know it's a classic Simon Sinek but actually we that you know when you're part of something much bigger than just yourself there's that sense of purpose that sense of connection and you know the meaning you have in in your role is is huge yeah and I, I'll give you one last example because I know we, we're kind of <laughs> almost at time but they I last Friday I did a trip down to Hyundai um, which is the the largest manufacturing plant in the world of, wow. of cars and it's this you can see it from the aeroplane coming in and um and the having a tour around the plant and, and I, I noticed this it was full of people like and and it's a very the 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 setup is amazing and it's all electronic and the cars are and the the units all go round or to all these stations but every station is manual and and we're all perplexed by this because we know there's tech out there for and this is a very you know an industry ripe for automation um and um the competitors of Hyundai are automating this this the building of the vehicles and so we asked about this and is it something I think it was either, I think it was 90% of the production of Hyundai cars were was from was manual, which was baffling. And anyway, a bit more digging. And if it, this this calls to the S and the and the G is that it had because Hyundai created this plant in this place called Usan, they basically created a town and a community and everyone worked there. So if you automated it, you put gen, you know families out of that was the, their livelihood wow and so there was a huge, there was a governance question around it there was a you know a, a social element to to the the livelihoods and diversity of the people working there and then there's a business challenge of how do you continue to sustain this um and consider risk and error and so really fascinating case study for me of how ESG comes together 
Mm. Again, without it being a side strategy, it, it's fundamental to the growth of their business. Um, Gosh, really interesting. Gosh, this is such a, yeah, just there are so many layers to, to things that you just aren't even aware about. It's aware of. It's just, um, it's fascinating. Gosh. Yeah, but I think the key is just start talking about it, as you said. You know, start asking, you know, if companies make it an agenda, make it part of the agenda uh, and start asking the right questions. And there's, and don't be baffled by all the information out there. There's, there's some great companies and, and Deloitte, uh, we're doing some really good work on zeroing in and trying to break down a lot of this lingo, which is just quite frankly confusing. Mm. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of good practice out there now that, um, and, and the UK government's doing some great stuff for SMEs as well. Um, so I'd really draw on that. Um, and it's also worth looking at the social value um, initiative that they've started. Um, so as we wrap up, are there any other key messages or pieces of advice that you would want people to leave with from listening to this conversation? Um, I think just reiterating that tone from the top is key. Just make it part of, as you said, make it part of the purpose um and be honest and vulnerable um and realize that this is a journey it's not a, something you take off your to-do list mm. uh, so they will be the three things i think thank you nicola so before i let you go i have a blind question to ask you which um one of my previous guests Hi. sarah page from oomph has asked <laughs> um so she she's asked how do you challenge yourself to live your best life every day so that might be about discovering new skills jumping into new experiences boosting your well-being whatever it means to you how do you challenge yourself to live your best life every day I would say I probably fail on that (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I I I am I am luckily I am married to an amazing man who lives the same a similar value to me if we lead with adventure um, and optimism and so we we try and embed embed adventure in everything that we do, and that and that is through the countries that we live in, or the food that we eat, or the um, you know where we drag our children um, for for the adventure of the day. Um, so that's probably how we live our best life. I wouldn't say it's a fail. I would say actually the fact that you are so open to any opportunities coming along, and like you were saying before, we hit record today. It's like we need to slow down but there's some other amazing thing is, is offered it's like yeah we'll get involved with that um so yeah there is a there is a balance but actually you're embracing world <laughs> Nicola thank you so very much I'm going to put loads of the links of things that you've talked about today in the show notes so that people can go and do a bit more digging there um and yeah there'll be there there's so much to read on this um but I would rather than getting overwhelmed with that, I would just go back to the key messages that you've given today. Um, because I think that really breaks something that can feel quite overwhelming down into something that actually, yeah, I can go and I can start having those conversations with my colleagues. Um, and we'll see where the journey takes us. So thank you so very much for your time. Pleasure. Yeah, I'm happy to talk to anyone who loves this subject. Um, I, I'm really happy to talk to for a coffee, a virtual coffee. Um, my your morning and my evening with the UK folk. Thanks, right, Nicola. Take care, Lisa. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you for joining me on the Beyond the Water Cooler podcast. I hope it's got you thinking about how you can make a real difference to company culture 
that enables people to really engage and thrive. And now it's your turn to help me, please. Rating my podcast and leaving a review means that my guests' messages spread further. And when I know what you've enjoyed, found helpful, what you'd like to hear discussed more of in the future and ideas for great guests, I can make sure I deliver. Let's continue the conversation about the points raised in this podcast, or perhaps you have other questions about employee experience and performance. You can email me at It's Time for Change, connect with me on LinkedIn, or why not pick up the phone? I love to walk and talk. My details are all in the show notes. So until next time, bye for now.